thanks, Martin. Evening, everyone. Tonight is uh, the last in a series uh, entitled Now to Him, and uh, thinking about worship particularly, and getting details. We've looked at singing, worship, and a whole variety of topics over the last uh, however many weeks it's been. And we, we think it's been uh, a good thing to do, and probably we are going to repeat it in the morning service. So if you come to the morning service, you might get a double a double dose of the series now to him, but uh, we thought it would be a good thing to do for the morning congregations as well, 9 o'clock and at 10.30 particularly, to think about what it means to be a worshipping people and what the Bible says about worship. So tonight is, uh, is uh, entitled Now to Him, which is a few uh, words from a few verses that, we, that Martin just read to us from the end of Jude. So if you've got a Bible handy, you might want to turn to... Jude, and it's uh, verses 24 and 25. Uh, One of the key words in these few verses is the word doxa, which is, uh, somebody said to me, worship is about doing a doxa, which is is really about, about the word glory, giving glory to God for who he is, for all that he's at work doing, and uh, blessing him for his power and authority. And Jude is one of those, uh, uh, one of three books in the New Testament that ends with worship. Romans is the same, it concludes with a now to him. The same with to Peter has that little phrase, now to him. And uh, I suppose it's it's worth saying as we start this evening, this uh, sermon tonight, that, that worship is a fitting conclusion. That as you look at people's spiritual journeys, often it begins with great enthusiasm and worship. And yet many fall away or many give up, particularly when life gets tough or when, uh, when things just get in the way. Often worship can change to distance from God or worship can change very quickly to whinging, can't it? Sometimes the end of the journey doesn't quite match up with the beginning. And I think I always have some scepticism about, uh, about people that describe uh, kind of you know, stages in life by saying, well, you know, I'm, worship was what I did in my first five years of living as a Christian. Now that I've been a Christian for 25 years, I don't need to do that anymore. You know, or I'm kind of, you know, I've reached the stage in life where I'm going to concentrate more on the Bible or I'm going to... I just, whenever anybody says anything like that, I always find myself thinking sceptical thoughts. That actually, worship should be a fitting conclusion and not just uh, an awesome beginning. I have to confess for myself that for years, I, I thought that times of worship in church were a great um, introduction to the talk. You know, that we'd have a time of worship and then, and then we'd get to the real stuff and the, the kind of the teaching. And I, as I've gone on, I, I thought, you know, actually, the worship is the main thing because actually it's what prepares us for what we're going to be doing throughout eternity, which is worship. And uh, fortunately, you're not going to be spending eternity having to listen to a preacher preaching, although sometimes it does occasionally feel like that, doesn't it? But... Um, Worship is great preparation for eternity. Um, and so worship, it, it should be a fitting conclusion. At the end of this book, 
which is only one chapter long, 24 verses, Jude writes now to him. Jude, who was writing a little letter that would go to a whole variety of churches, Jude, who was the youngest kind of half-brother of of Jesus, uh, writing to a whole load of churches to kind of keep them on the straight and narrow, finishes his letter by saying, now to him. So worship is a fitting conclusion. If tonight you think, gosh, I started great, but I'm not sure how the end of my journey is going, maybe tonight's an opportunity to get reconnected. Uh, Worship is a fitting conclusion. Not just that, but it's all about our focus. Worship is our central focus. Jude, in his corrective letter, he basically says, now, after all of that, after I've written these corrections, how to live following Jesus, after all of that, now to him. God's word tonight, I think, is right now. Worship is the now to him moment. Now. Now to him. You know, that sense that worship isn't about, you know, at some stage, I will. It's taking the opportunity now to him. And uh, I always think that, that people say, well, when is the right time to become a Christian? The answer is now. When is the right time to worship? The answer is now. You know, when is the right time to start to, to give? The answer is now. You know, when is the right time to start to learn how to pray for other people? The answer is now. God is the great now. Now to him. Here is the moment. So worship, it's a, a fitting conclusion. It's our focus. And it's for him. I don't know how many times you've left church or churches with, uh, with this question ringing in your ears. Or maybe the conversation taking place with the people that you've left church with. Um, how was the worship tonight? Um, or I, I didn't think much of the worship tonight. Or wasn't the worship fantas- fantastic? Or wasn't the worship dreadful? I don't know, well, you know, whatever you kind of might... I mean, I found myself saying all those things. I mean, not obviously tonight, but um, thinking all those things at various times as I've left church services. You know, that was just dreadful. And I would just wonder whether the Lord, when we say, you know, I didn't think much of the worship, whether the Lord's response back to us is pretty much always, I did. You know, it was great because it's, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a, about me. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. It's for him. And the reality is for us, if we don't end up worshipping the Lord, we will end up worshipping someone or something else. That always is the dynamic with worship. It's one of the crazy and wonderful things why worship is so central to our lives because the reality is for everybody in the world, everybody worships without exception. People say, no, I don't worship. You know, I work you know, in the bank or I do this. Or I... Everybody worships. The reality is if you don't worship the Lord, you end up worshipping something else or someone else. They were amazing. I couldn't live without them. We always end up worshipping. It's for Jesus. So when we worship to him, it shows us something of who God is. And uh, in these few verses, we get a lovely picture of who God is. Firstly, we see that he is incomparable. He's the only God, it says in the beginning of verse 25. He is the only God. 
Or Revelations 4 puts it like this. It says about God, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. He's incomparable. He's, uh, nobody can uh, compare to who God is. And the interesting thing, when you look through Scripture and you see all the various names that there are in the Bible, the various titles that God uh, has, it's not like he's been awarded them. You know, like Gary Barlow, OBE, or, you know, whoever, MBE. Uh, you know, an awarded title. God's titles are his by right. Or Revelations t- verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 just says, He was and is and is to come. He's incomparable. His names, the descriptions of him, are his by right. He's worthy of our praise. C.S. Lewis, um, who wrote the kind of the Narnia stories, he, he said this once. He said, A man can no more diminish God's glory by refusing to worship him than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. God just is. He's incomparable. Secondly, he's personal. Twice in verse 25, if you look at it, Jude 25, verse 25, it just says this, that he is ours. It says that he's our savior. It says that he's our Lord. And so we worship him because he's personal. He's ours. Not a God who kind of kick-started the world and then vanished or a God who's indifferent to human life or could care less, or a God who's angry and somehow needs appeasing. The Lord, our Lord, who, who it says in, frequently in Scripture, just says this, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's a recurring promise throughout Scripture. I will be yours and you will be mine. He's personal. And that was the central message from last night, wasn't it, that Martin spoke about, was that, you know, in Jesus, uh, God in flesh, here on earth, in order that we might be rescued, and in order that we might get to be friends with God, in a relationship with him. He's personal. The third thing in this passage is that worship is Jesus-centered. Verse 25, again, it says about God, our Savior, glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Simon Ponsonby in the book, uh, Now to Him, just says this. He, said, he says, true worship is through worship. In other words, it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we worship, we worship in a Jesus-centered fashion. The songs are to him. The songs are about him. The songs are for him. And so when we sing songs like, he's beautiful, it's because he is. They're worship, worshipping the Lord as central to all that we are and all that we have up ahead. True worship is through worship. He's the in- image of the invisible God. He's the saviour. He's the one who rescues and sets us free. And so we worship Jesus. And then lastly, 
He is eternal. The last bit of verse 25, and we're doing the verses slightly back to front, but verse 25 just says, He's our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. He's before all ages, and therefore worship is an eternal event. Worship transcends time, it touches prehistory before the world was created and it touches the end of time when the Lord or when time is wrapped up and we're gathered around his throne to enjoy him forever worship has eternal consequences and isn't it amazing tonight that as we've worshipped together somehow we touch something of heaven we experience something that is eternal with the angels gathered around the throne worshipping forever and so it's great to get people say, you know, the, the, the worship tonight was, it was far too long. You know, long. I, I always say, you know, we'll kind of get used to it. Because, um, you know, 10,000 years worth of worship is going to be an interesting introduction to the rest of eternity. We worship, it has an eternal perspective. And that's both awesome, but it's also encouraging those that have gone before us, you know, who, who are already gathered at the end of time. Uh, worshipping the Lord and in preparation for our own uh, journey uh, into eternity what we do now uh, uh, as it says in the film Gladiator echoes in eternity (laughs) sorry I just thought it was going to be on TV tomorrow night so there we go so there's something about worship that, uh, that points us to who Jesus is to what God is like And in these two verses, we've got four great truths. And the four great truths that are springboard into worship is the first one is this. God saves us. It says about uh, the Lord, the only God, our Savior. And so God saves us. He's our Savior. He provided through Jesus the greatest swap in history. My sin for his righteousness. My orphan spirit for his spirit of adoption. My death for his life. My hell for his heaven. The ultimate swap. And that's what the rescue means. That's what Jesus being the saviour. When Jesus died on the cross, that's what was being achieved. Rescue. Something being done that paid the price. That enabled forgiveness to flow freedom to reign in our lives and hope for eternity so there's the first thing God saves us secondly it says that God sustains us in verse 24 the one to him who is able to keep you from stumbling God sustains us he hasn't just set the ball rolling for us in living as a Christian he then sustains us on the journey he stands with us he stands alongside us he stands inside of us by his spirit to enable us to keep going he is able to keep you from stumbling and when life gets tough it's him who stands alongside us to enable us and to stop us from falling flat on our faces that when we feel like we're tripping up Jesus is there by our side just to hold us up 
to enable us to keep going when we feel like temptation is too much or life is throwing at us, you know, some, some weird curveballs. Jesus stands as the one who is enab- enables us to stop, uh, to, to, to stop us from falling flat on our faces. He sustains us so that we keeps us from stumbling. Or a bit like Derek Redmond in the 1992 Olympics, for those of you that were born then. Um, you know, that sense of as he tried to complete the 400-meter race and couldn't because he pulled a hamstring and was in, it, it, about to give up. And his dad fi- found his way onto the track in Barcelona, pushed his way past all the stewards and, um, and stood with Derek Redmond, put his arm around him and helped him to complete the rest of the journey. Just when he thought he might fall to the ground, flat on his face, his dad came along, picked him up and just walked with him the rest of the journey, even though he was walking with a severe limp. For many of us, that's true, isn't it? We get hurt, we get uh, broken in one way or another, and we, and we kind of find ourselves walking with a bit of a limp. And Jesus comes and stands with us, walks with us, to enable us to complete and to get to the finish line. So he sustains us. Thirdly, he sanctifies us, which just means he's, he is at work presenting us it says in verse 24, before his glorious presence without fault. I don't know whether in reading a verse like that, it sinks in the level of what that means. You know, when we are presented at the end of time, when we die, whichever comes first, and we are walked by Jesus into the presence of the Father, and he presents you without fault. An uh, interesting picture, isn't it? Picked up in Revelations with our, about the, the kind of the, uh, the, the dirty robes being replaced by white robes. He's going to take you into the presence of the Father if you're a Christian. And he's going to say, you know, this is Gene. Uh, this is Gene. This is Alan. Uh, this is Carol. This is Michelle. This uh, and I present them without fault. And we might, we might think to ourselves, gosh, all, all the stuff I've done wrong in my life, somehow it's going to be played on some big video screen in heaven at the door. You know, you're going to arrive, and Peter's going to say, or whoever, you know, just before you come in, just, need, just have a look at the video screen for a moment. Here's a quick recap of your life, you know, a bit like on X Factor. Let's have a look at your journey so far. You know, oh no, let's not do that, please. Because all the cock-ups and the mess-ups and the, you know, the stuff I've thought, said and done is going to be replayed for everybody gathered there at the gate in the queue behind me. You know, what a horrendous thought. Now the Bible says that Jesus is going to introduce you as one without fault. Why? Because he carried all our faults all the stuff that we've ever thought said or done wrong all the the things that we've got in our life that stand in the way of our friendship with God Jesus picked them all up he carried all the faults all the blame he carried all the thoughts he carried all of that with him so that because of him you know our eternal friend is going to say father he's here's Sai absolutely nothing wrong with him at all 100% without fault uh, and uh, everybody else is going to go you sure? 
He's going to be absolutely, you know, here's Martin, absolutely perfect, without stain or blood, nothing at all wrong, just without fault. Here's Richard. He's, you know, there's no, not a stain on him, absolutely sparkling clean. That's what it means. God changes us. He changes us. Uh, And he changes us so that one step at a time we become more like Jesus in the here and now. So that at that end point, we will be a reflection of all that Jesus has done in us. And then he satisfies us. Again, verse 24 and verse 25. It says that he presents us with great joy. Isn't that a lovely verse? It says that before God's glorious presence, he's going to present you without fault and with great joy. It literally means, that word literally means the jumping up and down joy. We've got a lovely video of uh, Sam. He's not here tonight, so I can embarrass him without him being here. Um, got a lovely video of Sam when he was um, two year, about two years old being given a, a, a Thomas the Tank Engine train. Uh, and he was an absolute Thomas the Tank Engine fan. I mean, he... Lo- he loved it, you know, Thomas, and, you know, and he just loved, he knew all the trains, he, he would play for hours, he absolutely loved it. And he was given this Thomas the Tank Engine set. And as it, were, as it was being opened, when you look at the, the video now of him opening it when he's two years old, as it's being opened, he's going, Thomas, Thomas, and he's jumping up and down with so much excitement. He, he just couldn't contain it. He was up and down, and he was really... Ah. And then when Thomas, he was like heaven had arrived. He was like, Thomas! And he was, you know, played for weeks with, with Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, it, it, that, that's the word that's used here. Jesus presenting you without fault and with great joy. Uh, and it, it looks, it, it looks so, it, or it feels so uh, non-British. And fortunately, it's going to be, you know, a, a non-British. We kind of, we, we sort of think we're going to arrive, and Jesus is going to say, "So, Lord, um, here is um, here is Simon, and um, good chap. Uh, just yeah, do do enter, and everybody's going to say, welcome, Simon. Come come on in." Sigh and uh, do take a. This is a small queue of British people over here. Uh, do, do join them whilst we wait. If we could just wait reasonably quietly, um, that would be helpful because um, you know it's quiet up here. Reflective. Uh, we do reflective well in Hep. So just so you, you know, it's going to be the opposite of that. It's going to be absolute worshiping mayhem as we as we arrive and the and, and Jesus presents us to the Father without fault. You know, this is, this is Sam. It, it's, it's, he's completely and utterly clean. And it's amazing. Jesus could be jumping up and down with great joy. He's fantastic. All that I did for him, he's, ama- you know, he's just incredible. He's clean. He's into your presence. We're going to worship you know, for all eternity. Just absolute great joy. Jumping for joy satisfaction is how Jesus is going to introduce us. And that is, uh, it takes some getting used to, doesn't it? 
That's what it is. We think of ourselves, we're going to kind of crawl on broken glass through uh, the first bit in order to get there. No, Jesus has done everything so that we're presented without fault and we're presented with great joy. Uh, That's how he looks on you from an eternal perspective. That's how he looks on you now, actually. He looks on you now with great joy. He doesn't look at you with a kind of a, oh, no, you did it again, or you thought it again, or, you know, sigh, you know, you're not as good as so-and-so. He says, no, without fault and with great joy. So two verses uh, and eight great truths uh, therein. Uh, You might want to go away and have a little look at them for yourself in the next couple of days. To him, that's to Jesus, who's able to keep you from falling, and then ultimately he's going to present you to his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God who's our saviour, to glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before, age, before all ages, now and forevermore. Why don't we stand together? Um, as we stand maybe just kind of our own response out of out of what you've read from those two verses in Jude uh, or what you've heard or what God's been speaking to you as we've been worshipping together just an opportunity for us to respond now thank you